You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. And now, here's your host on You Bet, Matthew Kelly. And Love. Oh, and Love, he's got a real chance now. Peter and Love. John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin! Unknown goal from Ruddock! Ball might break here for Kiwabia. Pannister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce scores! Oh, a magnificent goal from Darren Huckabee! Still rule Fox. He's gone to the left. Oh. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh. Oh. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hiya. <laughs> I was not expecting that. And, I do it. And some say he parked his early 90s getaway cars behind the goal at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> Others say he never quite got over Robbie Williams leaving. Take that. It's Michael Maud. Hello. Right, let's crack straight on with some correspondence. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. Chris Marsland's only been on again. Chris Marsland? Chris Marsland. All right, sorry. He's a very distant relative, I presume. Um, (laughs) He's been clearing out his parents' loft. He finds a 1990 Panini sticker album, which has descriptions for every player. Great. But some of these descriptions... Little bit on the wacky side. <laughs> yes, please. We all remember Gary Micklewhite of Derby County. Yeah. He's a former Manchester United and QPR player who joined the club in 1985. He is a hard-working and very quick midfield dynamo and a distant relative of film star Michael Caine. <laughs> oh, wow. Is that true, do you think? I don't think that's true. Well, so do you reckon they're filling the words count? I think his surname is Micklewhite. Michael Caine's real name is Morris Micklewhite, so they've just gone, oh, we're going to have a bit of fun with oh, this. Really? Or yeah. you've, you've added more evidence to the fire. Yeah, no. what are you on about? You just backed it up. I believe it more than ever. <laughs> and your evidence is not true is that they share a surname. Well, I, a distant relative is like, you're a distant relative to Henry VIII. You're not a distant relative to someone who is around at the have same time. Have you seen um, the Who Do You Think You Are with Gary Micklewhite? <laughs> Yeah, it turns out he's not related to Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah, it's quite disappointing. He's related to Henry VIII. <laughs> um, they have another description oh, yeah. from Mark Bright. Yeah. High-scoring centre-forward who has notched 44 league goals in the last two seasons. Scores with both feet and head and loves Paris, which he visits regularly. <laughs> I mean, they're making that up, though, isn't they? Well, no, that could be that. true. But um, how do they know that? Do you reckon the guy writing the descriptions was like on holiday in Paris the summer before and saw Mike Bright? <laughs> I imagine. I, oh, I, I need to fill out the word count. You have to. You know when, like, a novelist moves to Paris. Yeah. Do you reckon the guy that writes the Panini stickers just goes there to kind of get his inspiration, <laughs> looking out over the same? 
He goes to all the main European destinations looking for footballers. <laughs> um, that's astonishing. I would. I mean, there must be so many more of those. I'd love yeah. to hear more. Come on, Chris Marsland, dig out that album. We want a few more. My favourite. I know this is non-90s, but you know about when Roy Hodgson should have been preparing for the Iceland game. Oh, he this blows my mind. Yes. He went and he took his assistant Ray Lewington on a cruise down the Seine because Ray Lewington had never been to Paris. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that Roy Hudson took him. Like, I'm, I'm your mate. Come on then. You've never been. I'll show you it. <laughs> but like, Roy presumably always works with Ray Lewington. What to Fulham? That's that's an hour from Paris. Also, you can see Paris anytime. Don't do it. Come on, for the big no. game. Do you know, anyway, there was I the one I, moment I, when it felt like we were back in 90s football. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Graham Taylor and Phil Neal down at the Le Louvre. With <laughs> <laughs> Laurie McMillan and me. Yeah. Okay, on the subject of people finding stuff in their loft, Phil Laws has been on, and he has been going through some old boxes and came across some old school work which included a 90s football-based poem that he wrote about Tony Adams. And Josh, I wondered whether we could have our yeah. first... Poetry Corner feature. Okay, yeah, it's, it's it's astonishing. Actually, I think we need a sting here. Here's Poetry Corner. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. Okay, it's an astonishing piece because what he's saying is cut out a photo of Tony Adams looking kind of sad or worried, as it turns out from the poem, and he stuck it next to his poem. And the poem is called The Worried Man. My name is Tony Adams. Football is my game. I have captained England. Now my life is not the same. I admitted my problem. Now I need some time to think. My career won't be the same till I give up the drink. <laughs> Can you see as well? The, the, I know the, the, teacher. the teachers, the teachers comments tick. are underneath. The tick. <laughs> Written the word topical. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know what the other, the other poems were. Did it have to be topical? <laughs> <laughs> was there one about Britain leaving the ERM? Like what's... <laughs> I really love Topical. as well the worried man. You can see it's um, you know those pens you used to get that had like the four different <laughs> yeah, colours. Yeah, it's underlined it in red, and, underlined green. It in red and green. So they've used three of the four. <laughs> also, he's got a, a B two. Yeah, B two. B, B for grade and two for effort. Superb. Work. Should have been an A one. Well, it's had an A one retrospectively. You go through us. your lofts, guys. If you can find old Panini albums or old poems you've written about you, <laughs> footballing heroes, send them to us at hello at quicklykevin.com. 90s footballers on social media? Don't mind if I do. When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. Thank you. Uh, we received this one from quite a few people, and it is an absolute corker. Thank you, everyone, that sent it in. This is Jason McAteer of the L'Oreal advert, uh, May 2015. I love the fact that people are going back through to ones they've seen that they liked. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how often McAteer tweets, but the fact you're going back that far, we do appreciate it. This is at McAteer4. Thanks for the follow, Miss at Gemma Jameson. 
<laughs> I'd just like to say you're misspelled. An amazing actress, and I can't believe you didn't win an Oscar. Take care. Eight twenty nine a.m. fifteenth of May two thousand fifteen. Tweets like that as well. You can't excuse that at eight twenty nine a.m. unless you've done an all nighter. Why is she following them? Yeah. That is a good point. Um, Willie Miller has written, "Is she in Coronation Street?" McAtee's replied, "Emmerdale, mate. Bit of bants." <laughs> but then, astonishingly, Jenna Jameson herself has replied to McAteer with "cheeky boy," and then a devil emoji. Wow! I mean, astonishing scenes. There's a bit, a bit of flirting going on there. Wow! Do you think she knows who Jason? I mean, she must know who Jason McAteer is. She, she was there, young girl, USA '94. Yeah. <laughs> Island Italy. <laughs> she had her eyes on Ray Houghton. He said no. <laughs> so there, who knows? And so what year was that? 2015. If anyone can shed any more light on it, hello at quicklykevin.com. Oh, yeah, it'd be interesting. Right. Graham Lasso. We love doing this. There was loads of brilliant stuff. Also, when we stopped recording, he told us 10 minutes of brilliant stuff that we wish we'd recorded as well. So hopefully we'll get the chance to do it with him again soon. Here is Graham Lasso. Our guest today is a Premier League, FA Cup, League Cup, Cup Winners' Cup, and most importantly, Le Noir winning player. It's our pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin, will he score? The answer to England's left-sided problem, Graham Lasso. <laughs> Hello. It must have been a big problem. <laughs> it was a big, it was a long problem, wasn't it? Um, who, are, who are the other answers? Um, well, Stuart Pearce. Was, yeah. the, uh, was the problem. <laughs> he, was the, he was the problem I had to solve. <laughs> um, no, Stuart was, was England fullback and Terry Venables um, first, you know, when he first took over, um, gave me my first cap. And it's funny because you'd think it's glamorous. You know, I was thinking there's going to be, you know, the Queen will send up riders um, and, uh, you know, a, there'd be a scroll involved and a wax seal. It was a fax. A fax? Yeah, yeah wow. a fax to Blackburn. And we'd only just got faxes in Blackburn. Is so, it in Kenny Dalglish's yeah. office? It wasn't. It was in the secretary's office oh. Oh, at the wow. training ground, and it came through. And then they did us the favour of, as if we wouldn't recognise our own names on the list of, of yeah. players, they highlighted it. Oh, that's you know, nice. Just in case. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I felt ready for it. I'd been called up once under Graham Taylor, but didn't feel ready for it. And the, the he culture, wasn't ready for it either. No. <laughs> <laughs> and the cult. Well, the culture around that team was. I don't know. For a young player, it didn't feel that welcoming. Um, right, you know, you right. sort of felt like you didn't shouldn't really be there. Uh, but with Venables, as soon as you got there, and I, I was a, a, a sort of a more experienced player, I was confident in what I was doing. Mm. Um, felt like I deserved to be there. Um, but I remember Terry picking the team. We stood on the training ground after a session, probably the day before the game. He says, "Right, I'm going to name the, name the team," and off he goes, starts naming the team. And I already had it in my head that Stuart Pearce was going to play. I'd be on the bench. Yeah, and so it. He'd already gone through the back four and he was on the midfield and I was thinking, did I have my name then? You know, something in the back of my mind was going, there was a lasso there at some point. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd already had it in my yeah. head as Pierce. Yeah. And I thought, I can't put my hand up and ask, can I? <laughs> me, am I? Am I making my debut? Yeah. I wasn't paying attention. Can you just repeat time. that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. did you uh, look Stuart Pierce in the eye? Uh, <laughs> well, he was absolutely brilliant. Because, you know, he could be terrifying. Yeah, Stuart, yeah. Stuart the Psycho Pierce, as his nickname yeah. was. And, and it, was, it was a really fantastic experience because he not physically, metaphorically sort of handed the shirt over to me because yeah. he said, you deserve this. You've you know, been in fantastic oh, wow. form and you deserve this. And a lot of players wouldn't do that. No. It says a huge amount about his character and personality. 
Um, and then he spent the next training session trying to kick me. <laughs> um, so we've got a, like a standard question we always ask. Yeah. Can you name the kit sponsors you had over the course of your career? Oh, the big sponsor in the middle. I mean, starting all, at Chelsea, Auto Glass. Mm. That was that was at the end. Of Chelsea. Later, that was the end at Chelsea. So I'm going. I'm, yeah. No particular okay. order. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't know if Cause would have been one of mine. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah we've McEwen's at Blackburn. Yeah, for correct. Sure. Um, ah, um, who did you have at Chelsea? I had yeah, first. First, first at Chelsea was I can't see it. I'm normally quite computing. Oh yeah, Commodore computers. Did you get yes. a Commodore? Yes, I did. Did actually. you? Did you used to have to load the tapes in and hit play? Yes, I had to do everything. <laughs> um, basically, I started writing an article for the Bridge News which was a, an, an official club newspaper. Oh, right. Okay. I thought you meant like bridge, like cards. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know you've got a reputation as yeah. eyebrow, but... Yeah. Got a job at Solitaire Monthly after that. <laughs> and, um, and so I wrote a couple of articles for it, and without even asking, one day this huge lorry turned up yeah. with a Commodore 64 computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had in it. Yeah. I had to build an extension to get it in. <laughs> Let's mm. go back to the start. Mm. Jersey. Mm. That was probably uh, the golden era of Channel Island football. The two greatest ever players to come out of the Channel Islands, you and Matthew Letizio. Yeah. Um, did you ever cross paths early we on? We did. I think the first time we met were <laughs> Island Scouts. Or Cubs. Oh, really? Island Cubs. Wow. Island Cubs. It wasn't even Scouts. <laughs> now, Island Cubs, yeah. I think we're our birthdays, we're born the same year, yeah. and we're, our birthdays are separated by something like five days or something. Wow. So yeah. obviously he's older than me. Yeah, obviously. You, know. you can yeah, see that. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so we first played against each other, and, and all the way through to he left, the, left Guernsey at 16. Because he was a right-sided player, I was a left-sided player, we used to come up against each other, you know, probably once, twice a season. And was he... Mm. Amazing. He was very good, yeah. I think he made me a better player. I think he really? helped me in the sense that he was the most talented player, you know, going through the age groups. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'd always try and, you know, cancel him out. Um, the really funny thing is, Matt Matt left Guernsey at, at 16. I didn't leave till 18. And I always looked at him, I was jealous of him, you know, in the sense that, oh, he's made it and he's at Southampton. Yeah. He got his debut first and he was, you know, scoring goals. And there was me studying away. Um <laughs> Got there eventually at 18, but I was, you know, it was the hare and the hare and the tortoise really, and I was sort of trying to catch up with them. And then, right at that peak moment, going back to England and Ben, yeah. so both Matt and I were in that England squad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, he was, he'd always been ahead of me in terms of his development, and yet when we got the England call up, I was, I made my debut 63 minutes before he did. Oh, did you? So I was the oh, first yes. Channel Islanders <laughs> player bringing this furious <laughs> That's definitely his Achilles heel, <laughs> if you ever see him. We've got a photo of yeah. you uh, at your England debut. Oh, with, with him. With him. And, oh. it, and I don't mean this is no disrespect to Matt Letizia. He looks 15 years your senior. <laughs> Also, he's, he's carrying you. I know. Like, it, do you remember that picture? And what you, was the setup there? I, I honestly, that scars me. That photo because it looks slightly, <laughs> yeah, in the current awkward, climate, awkward. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But this is what photographers used to do. They used to get you in these ridiculous. But what they do? They still happen. do this now. They'll do the normal ones, and they'll go, "We've got that, mm. so we will use that." But just for a bit of fun. Why do you try yeah. being held like a baby by Matt Letizia? <laughs> and then that's the one that makes it into the favourites. My favourite one of that era is Brian Robson getting announced as player manager of Middlesbrough. Top half wearing a suit and a blazer, bottom half kit, like socks, <laughs> shorts, <laughs> she has foot on a ball. 
<laughs> half and half, player, manager, lovely business. <laughs> and the thing is, I think when you're, you know, that was probably the first time we got called up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you don't know what the protocol is and you've got the photographer, yeah. you've got loads of photographers around and the press are asking you loads of questions. And so you just sort of think, oh, I better say yes. Better jump like about this arms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looks like we're going to cross the threshold in. You know, <laughs> it does, it? Yeah. Exactly. I'd just up. thrown the bouquet just before that. <laughs> <laughs> so were you, were you quite good mates by this point? Like you must have grown up together, effectively. We were good, good friends in the sense that we had so much in common um, that we always, I think, we always got on. Now, he's a really good guy as well, Matt. So he's easy to get on with. He's not, you know, he's, he he doesn't get too uh, feisty or um, he wasn't a player that he was. You know, it was ba- his game was based on grace rather than just hatcheting people down <laughs> <laughs> like others. Challenge so, are you like? Two Beatle drivers that you have to acknowledge each other when you go past. Yeah, that's it. So you'll see us often just <laughs> left off in the cap. And, um, Matt Letitia told us that uh, Gerard Houllier tried to call him up to the French squad mm. despite him not being eligible. Did you get any... I did. You got the same From, thing? Um, oh, wow. I'll see his Gerard Houllier and raise him a Michel Platini. No! no. Wow. I didn't speak to him directly. No. But I've had it verified by the man himself. You did leave £10 million in his bank account. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Uh, I saw him many years later and said to him, is that right, you were you were, um, you know, scouting me and that you had a couple of people that had spoken to the club and, and what have you? And he said, yes, but then we realised you weren't technical enough. As, and he oh. laughed, and then he laughed, you know, he was yeah. joking. But, I mean, you can't then say to Michel Platini, well, no, not, neither were you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you got your revenge 20 years later when he got sacked from the UEFA. <laughs> um, so, Chelsea. Chelsea. It begins. It so that dressing room, I mean, some characters there. Vinnie Jones, Annie Townsend, Dennis Wise. Um, I think it was Dave Bessant knocking about. Dave Bessant, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's a tough place for a kid to go into, especially maybe from the Channel Islands <laughs> where... We may not have been exposed to characters. Like yeah, that. I mean, it was it was actually worse than all of those names that you've just mentioned in terms of when I actually got there, those, those players weren't there. Um, oh. There were people like Kerry Dixon was there, who's a really, I'm not that they're bad people or anything. Kerry, you know, Kerry was a good guy, but he had his had his issues that we found out later on in life. Yeah. I, think, I think looking back, I can't believe how unprofessional the club was at that time. <laughs> I really can't. I signed for Chelsea thinking, hey, I'm going to be a professional football player. Yeah. And because I didn't know any differently, I thought, oh, people, it is all right to turn up drunk and come straight in from a night out and go to the... There was a, a bus at the end of our... Uh, the ro- a dead-end road near our training ground that was a permanent fixture. Yeah. And it was a calf, a greasy spoon calf. And the lads used to meet there before training for a bacon sandwich and, <laughs> you know... Fry up and then come and train, and I'll be like. So even, even at that point, are you going? This <clears throat> this isn't what we should be doing. Clearly, nutrition and science and sports science has moved on a long way, but even then, I knew that that those sorts of things weren't good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to buy because I wasn't earning any money whatsoever. I was yeah. I was I say it took me months to save up for um, my best friend at the time, which was a um, it was a Sony Walkman. Oh, oh wow. yeah. And I used to Take- travel the tubes from London, uh, from sort of Chelsea all the way up to Burnt Oak. Yeah. Right? Which was an hour and a half. Why did you live right? in Burnt Oak? Because that's where the digs were. Oh, because right. somebody at the club had a brother who lived there who was obviously making a bit of money on the side. Wow. And he had a, a terrace house with three of us in. And Can I ask what you were listening to when you were going from Burnt Oak? I was Oak listening to-, to all sorts. I've always loved my music. So um, anything from uh, probably then, 86. Seven, I signed for Chelsea. So 88, 89, it would have been Style Council. It would have been... Um, oh, lovely. Um, there was a Pretenders album that I had. There was, you know... On cassette. Started, on cassette, yeah. Lovely. I've still got the Walkman. 
Have you? I've still wow. got it. Okay. I you think I saw it in the uh, National yeah. Football Museum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that was my companion. That got me through the first year because I came over so naive thinking, you know, everyone commutes an hour yeah. and a half there. Yeah, that's what everyone does. And then I realised about two years later that I must have been mad because I was having to leave home or leave the digs at like 7.30 yeah. for 10.30 start. <laughs> and <laughs> you were know, you a so. Chelsea fan? No, no, no. I loved football as a kid growing up. Mm. So um, the teams that I would say I followed, Liverpool predominantly, because in the late 70s, they were the team. Yeah. So, But uh, Nottingham Forest was another team. So my one of my heroes was probably John Robertson. Yeah. Another hero of mine, Kenny Dalglish, who I then played yeah. for at Blackburn, which was a bit weird meeting Kenny for the first time. Yeah, but, you know. uh, but I loved football. So I used to read, I used to get shoot every week. I used to get Roy the Rovers. I used to love, you know, love the game, any football I could watch. Because obviously yeah. then you didn't get that much no. on, on the TV. So, um, so yeah, I was I was obsessed with just watching and learning, and I'd I'd watch a game, then I'd go out into our tiny little garden and pretend to be Kenny Dalglish, and I'd kick the ball off the wall and try and do a turn. Did you ever say to Kenny Dalglish, "I used to pretend to be you"? I didn't. I've, this is the first time I've revealed it. This is breaking news. <laughs> this is breaking news. And Kenny Kenny's a listener, isn't he? Yeah, he, he is a listener. <laughs> I, know, I don't. I doubt he'd be able to find the podcast app on his iPhone. <laughs> um, so at Chelsea, is it true that you used to have to wear a yellow beard? The worst player in training would have to wear a yellow bib yeah that's very common so I mean it is it is a bullying culture the dressing room basically I mean the amount of times do you think there's great footballers that didn't make it because they just because of the yellow bib the weight of the yellow bib (laughs) 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 couldn't cope with it um, but they would pick, people would pick on you as well and that's so frustrating when it's unfair you know if they just think oh we can really you know get into him now and give it to somebody that's already down even though they've played really well. Yeah, so it was used as a bit of a tool by the... I always call them the lads. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the ones, the was core... Because Pat Nevin would have been there. Yeah. So he's not one of the lads. No, he was... No, he was, you know... Were you sitting there talking of, the, about the style council with Pat Nevin? Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I, you know, I, Pat was such a musical intellect. He knew John Peel, Pat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he, he... I remember going back to his... Uh, apartment after training and he, he took me to a Hungarian restaurant in South Kensington where we had goulash and then we went back <laughs> that and he was your first ever goulash? my first ever goulash yeah, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a, a main sort of nutritional dish that we would have in Jersey but but then we went I remember going back to his, his great apartment that he had in South Kensington and and he had all his you know all his CDs and tapes and John Peel stuff that he'd recorded for him and so and Pat was into you know half man half biscuit and yeah. um, juice and Mary chain and I was already sort of into some of it but I mean yeah. he was another yeah, another yeah, level yeah. but on a serious note Pat was Pat was the person I looked at and I thought God if he can make it <laughs> <laughs> I've got a chance I can be myself yeah, yeah, and make yeah. it and still not be anywhere near Pat <laughs> who was wearing Isimiyaki full length like leather or faux leather coats yeah. and probably a bit of eyeliner now and again because he was in his goth phase yeah. but wow. he was just the nicest guy and we Pat and I still see each other a lot now I mean he was really was a sort of a mentor to me without yeah. actually knowing it because yeah. I, honestly I looked at him and he was he was what a phenomenal player he was you know he was a, a cult hero at Chelsea he stood up for everything you know he stood up against racism he called out Chelsea fans when they were racist to Paul Cannaville you know on TV he was so ahead of the curve Pat he was brilliant. I had a mate who is a huge Chelsea fan and he had a Panini sticker of Pat Nevin on his fridge and he had a little dog which was like a spaniel of some sort. And he was so, he, Pat was his, his hero. Yeah. And he, what he used to do, he trained his dog by putting Nutella on this picture. 
right? And the dog would go and lick the Nutella off, and it was Pavlov's dog. Because <laughs> then, when he, whenever he said his name, he would just literally go and lick the, the face of Pat Nevin. <laughs> so people would come round, and my mate Jeff would go, Zena, Zena, Pat Nevin, and the dog would just go and lick Pat. <laughs> People are like, oh my god, even the dog's a massive Pat Nevin fan. Wow. I love that. I love that. So um, with Pat Nevin, so obviously we might as well say that you were known for reading The Guardian. Mm. So are you, yeah. you're reading The Guardian on the on the bus to yeah. a match? Yeah. What is everyone else doing? I remember Andy Townsend getting on the team bus one day and I'm reading the paper. Yeah. And he came up and he said, I oh, can have a look at it. And I said, yeah, of course. And he took it and went through it and went, oh, there's no sport in that. And threw it on the floor. But being a broadsheet, it went, it went everywhere. It took me like four hours to <laughs> put it back together and get the pages in the right order. You know, the funny thing is, when I, when I look back, I cannot believe I didn't just jack it in and just go, do you know what? I can't cope with this because yeah. I don't fit in. This isn't for me. Yeah. Um, clearly, you know, these guys can't relate to me. Um, but I, I had a resilience about me from when I was a child. I lost my mum when I was very young, and um, and I just had this attitude that you know what, this is this is all I've ever wanted. Yeah, I'm not going to get let anybody spoil it for me in those early days. We're talking about anyone... football, not reading the Guardian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But but it's that yeah. whole thing of of just sort of you know getting getting through that period mm. and then earning respect through your football ability yeah. and then people are like well he is a bit of a weirdo but he's not a bad player yeah, and they, they yeah. would accept it then but I had to fight for that in those early years at Chelsea I had to fight with it and yeah, it's not a reflection or a criticism of some of those players some of them were horrible yeah. but it's but it's not a criticism of people like Andy I just think it was the culture then and most people just go to that default setting yeah. don't they and it's that yeah. pack mentality and there was me trying to keep my head above water and, and survive um, and build a career for myself. It's fair to say you're you're an, you're an intelligent man. Like you, you you mentioned earlier, you studied biology. I quoted mm. Kafka before we started recording. Mm. You correctly identified it. Mm. So how did that kind of intelligence manifest itself? How was it? Were you just kind of like you distanced yourself from this kind of like the stupid footballer thing? I, I I had a very quick sort of realization that I had to keep my life, my personal life for me, and my football life for them, and and trying to manage and flip-flop between the two yeah was was tough because people thought that I wasn't a team player yeah and I'm so much a team player but then once once you're away from that environment I'm I've always been quite bullish about you're quite a hard footballer yeah like, because you, I had you, to be you yeah. have an edge like mm. and I don't mean you have an edge yeah, yeah no definitely mean? no no yeah. I've got and, a bit of anger in me yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. emotion you, but I think you need that yeah. to be who you were and to definitely. be a footballer no definitely but but I I didn't I think if I was to criticise myself in those early years I think I was probably um, I, I didn't compromise enough in those early years. But, but what, what would compromise? What would it have been? Well, Read I the don't sun. know. Yeah, maybe. But you should, yeah. If you'd have just read the sun. But you know, if I speak to any kids now, I've got two kids of my own. I you know, you speak to kids whether you're coaching them or if you're doing talks or whatever, and I, I, you always say to them, be yourself, be yourself. Yeah. Don't pretend to be someone else because you can't you can't fulfill your potential if you're not being yourself and I, mm. actually I still think that holds us back yeah. you know I think the football culture in this country still the, the English players still feel they have to behave in a certain way yeah. which holds them back but I think that you, you know you see with, with the sort of the foreign players that came in they brought that brought a different culture and actually you know started stretching it's <laughs> like you know yeah, drinking yeah, even you know after, after training what you do warm down what, what's that isn't it just get off you know yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, and, and they gave actually the, the foreign players that came in I'll always be grateful for because they broke 
that traditional English culture that was, I think, holding yeah. us back and, and yeah. actually meant, they, you know, they would come in and be themselves and they were reading Guardian-sized paper papers but in totally different language yeah. <laughs> so that must have really freaked out those bigots that were reading that must have gone oh Graham's alright at least he's reading an English paper <laughs> do you think if you were born like 20 years later this wouldn't have even been a thing I can't imagine it being what, this, a deal this now interview, this interview right. yeah, <laughs> still be playing yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be like no sorry Josh I'm busy I've got a game set yeah. <laughs> but I can't imagine a player no. now getting pulled out for no, you're right. Yeah, the the, the the identity and the I think the individuality within the game now is mm. is, is is obvious. You've, every player seems to be more confident in who they are. You've got people that are sort of they're trying really hard to stand out in a crowd, aren't they? So you know whether it's dyeing their hair or the tattoos that they've yeah. got. You know they're all trying to be. You know, you, you individuals in tattoos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Can you imagine? The answer to England's left-sided problem yeah. down your left arm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And Kafka on my yeah. right. Um, did you meet, well, you must have met, mm. what were your dealings with Ken Bates? Ken Bates. Um, yeah, he was He was somebody that, he was like a father figure to us because he was so imposing as a character at the mm. club and he ran that club. He was in the dressing room some after games. And, so what would he you know, say he, when he came into the dressing room? Um, he would either be, you know, he didn't mince his words, Ken, you can imagine. Yeah. imagine. He was either very nice or really... You know, outspoken and and could put put players away, could really belittle players. Do players um, respond to a big chairman like because you had two, you had Ken Bates and then you had um, Jack Walker. Jack Walker. Yeah, I mean, there were different type types of people. Um, Jack was more, you know, didn't have the hard edges that, that Ken Bates had. Um, I, I think that you know, Ken was he could be really bullish and in your face, and he quite intimidating. Yeah. And he, he would he could make people feel really small, and because you respected him, because he was the chairman of the club and, yeah. and what have you, you you didn't feel you could you couldn't come back with something. You had to just yeah. take it, you know. And then as soon as he shut the door, everyone would call him a name or something behind his yeah. So he didn't get respect necessarily from, yeah. from people. Um, but I had some real run-ins with him. Um, but at the same time, I've, I'm really grateful for what he did. So I remember when I left Chelsea and signed for Blackburn, he wasn't he he wasn't around at the time. He was away. Um, they sold me. I finished the season um, for Blackburn, um, and then I came back to London to my house in 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 the summer because sell my house. Um, and I thought, do you know what? The right thing would to do would be to call Ken and say, "Look, can I take you out for lunch to say thank you for everything you've done for mm. me for those six years?" And all the way through the meal, I'm thinking, "He's not going to let me pay. He's not going to let me pay." I mean, he's the chairman of Chelsea, <laughs> owns the club. I'm a poor footballer by comparison. He made me pay <laughs> and I was dreading I was dreading he ordered a really loves a glass of wine I think he ordered a bottle what different did, days for what footballers did, what did you talk about what were you, was it stilted were you getting on like, was it yeah I mean were you vibing well, off each other look you, you've known me for 10 minutes and I talk the hind yeah. legs off a horse um, I'm so not that, Ken Bates no I'm not <laughs> but I will give you the bill for that beer you drink <laughs> so 1993 you leave Chelsea yeah. Kenny Dalgleish is Blackburn Road over seven hundred thousand pounds. Things mm. are happening up there. Mm. W- was it a tough decision for you? Well, I didn't know where it was. <laughs> I literally didn't know, where, didn't it know where it was. I knew it was north of Manchester, yeah, but I wasn't yeah. sure if it was near a Carlisle, right? Yeah, yeah. or near a Bolton. Yeah, you know. So I did, and it was it was you know we're going back to the dark dark ages now because I had to get the A to Z out. You know, the, it was like the size of the Guardian. Yeah, the A to Z, yeah, wasn't yeah. It? it was almost full size. I think was it? Was it one to <laughs> one? one? To one. <laughs> So you've never played that? No. First time they got in contact with me, I had, we hadn't played them. 
And ironically, if it is ironic, or is it coincidentally? I don't know. Um, I my last game for Chelsea was against Blackburn. Ah, that's coincidence. Coincidence, yeah. Totally <laughs> no. I, I was Alanis playing the Alanis Morissette album. Yeah, in my head again. <laughs> Taking you back to listen to him out loud. Absolutely. Yeah. Did she mention Blackburn, Blackburn in yeah. the song? So, you so, so, so yeah. So I didn't know where it was. I watched them on TV a couple of times. Yeah. Alan Wright was playing really well for Blackburn. He was a terrific player. Played for he Villa, was, didn't he? Yeah, he went to Villa off the back of me signing for Blackburn. Um, and he um, he was injured, so they had a guy called Dobson, who was a centre-back playing left-back. And I watched them on the TV and I thought, I think I can get in. I think I can get in there, <laughs> you know. But at the time, you know, I, was, I wasn't going through a great time at Chelsea, so it was a bit of a lifeline to me. Yeah. I went up there on transfer deadline day. There was a... a did, did Kenny call you beforehand? No, I didn't speak to him. I mean, what's the point? You wouldn't understand him. <laughs> would you? The amount of times I've answered yes, no to when he said, what's the time? I've just gone, yeah, no. <laughs> so, so was it? what was it like with Kenny? Was he an amazing presence? Well, yeah, it- I mean, turning up, um, you know, transfer deadline day. So you're under pressure really to sign. It was a lifeline for me to go there. All I wanted to know, because I'd been in and out the team at Chelsea in terms of positionally, I hadn't really locked down a position there over that first sort of six years. All I could focus on was about where he saw me playing and I think that impressed him um, because he knew that I was you know where I was coming from and he said I'm buying you as a left back and he said I, it doesn't it doesn't mean I won't play you somewhere else but if I play you out of position it's my responsibility and I just thought that's yeah sound that's impressive clearly when you've got someone like Kenny Dalglish wanting to sign you and telling you that they they see your potential and that they're going to make you a better player you know yeah. Sort of, you, you had me at hello. <laughs> I is it raining? I hadn't noticed. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but with the so when you got someone like Kenny Dalglish as the manager, mm. like are they on the training pitch every day? Yeah, going, Kenny, you was. need to push up more. You need. Yeah, to. he had a brilliant. I mean, all managerial teams really are about partnerships with the rest of the staff. So him and Ray Harford, the blend between the two of them was yeah. just amazing because Kenny could be really tough hard nosed really tough. oh yeah he would hammer you about throwing everything had to be done perfectly for Kenny and Ray was the sort of translator the father <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he would hold up signs it's like the Bob Dylan what's the Bob Dylan song yes, I'm home to <laughs> yes. maybe on the side was brilliant yeah, timing was impeccable <laughs> But he, um, Ray was just, yeah, he was, he'd come and put his arm around you and he was a far, uh, more of a father figure to us yeah. than, than Kenny was. Kenny was all about winning and details and Ray was brilliantly, um, was brilliant with the organisation. And I, I tell you, where I, I realised the contrast between what I'd been experiencing at Chelsea, where I said, you know, we weren't, it wasn't, didn't feel like professional football in hindsight. It was much more lifestyle. The first week of training at Blackburn, I, I felt like I played a 90-minute match every day. I was mm. absolutely on the floor shattered. And I was fit. I was a fit yeah. player. But the intensity in training, and that, that was set by Kenny. So, yeah, we, we worked. Um, it was a, an aspirational environment. Everybody wanted to get better. Everybody drove the standard. Everybody made everyone else better. And you've got Kenny at the helm, who's won everything. He never, he never played on it. You would never know... That Kenny had beat was the most one of the most successful footballers of all time. Yeah, he, he wasn't. So, he wasn't doing a Glenn Hoddle. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was just so inspirational. But he was he could be nasty. You had to You're learn. So professional. Mm. We uh, found out that you, or is this true that you had to take home and wash your own kit? At yes, Blackburn? we did. 
we had to. I was devastated. <laughs> so you put on a wash every night after training. Well, it depends on how how disciplined you were. I mean, you you try. What you go in the next day with a muddy kit? Well, it depends if you. I stopped sliding tackle for six months. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. save on the washing. Yeah, wait, for, wait for Danny <laughs> Baker to turn up with some dads. <laughs> dads, yeah. You know, Paolo Maldini always stayed on his feet. That's because they have the same. Yeah, yeah, the same policy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I remember Chris Sutton when he. This is a few years later when he when he signed for Chelsea, but I mean he he bought a barn, a sort of quite an expensive barn, um, you know, and he had a. He, he, just he, sat in it being moody yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember once I was having my car service so he ended up dropping me back back to my little cottage on the way back and he had his two boys with him at the time in the back of the car and he said uh, I said to him when, when we started I said well, do you, you know, do you want to come in for a cup of tea or something and the, get, we'll get the kids a juice and he went no 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 I can't go in a house that's worth less than £100,000 <laughs> wow. wow he was joking he was joking <laughs> um, what's Chris Sutton like Is, um is he as scary as it looks? No, no, I, that's not the real Chris Sutton you're seeing. What is that? I don't know who, the, really, who is the real Chris Sutton. He's he's actually a, a very dry sense of humour. Yeah. Um, but no, he was he, he was definitely a, a, one of the characters. Um, that Can't we had. go in a house. As well. No, but he was joking. I've got to. I've got to be. <laughs> it's a great. He just had a dry smile. Yeah. 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 Chris Sutton, yeah. man of the people. Um, <laughs> you, you, you said a minute ago, like you know, Blackburn was so much more professional. But there's a quirk about your training ground that I really hope is true in, in Pleasanton. So there was a local cemetery and crematorium nearby and a yeah. road between the training pitches that led to them and at regular intervals a funeral party would drive down the road and you'd have to stop mm. training to pay your respects it was yeah it was not so much that we stopped training we sort of you know you'd hesitate a little bit because obviously it's slightly yeah, awkward yeah. isn't it yeah yeah of course but more more noticeable than that was the fact that on the way back down they'd all be out the windows wishing us best of luck for the next you know <laughs> I think a lot. I think a few of the funeral cortegers had their scarves underneath their their suits and everything, and they were waving out and maybe stopping for a few autographs and you know that sort of thing. Um, I mean, it was a public park, so people walked their dogs on there. Really? Um, they'd be you know have to clear up the crap. Um, wow! And you're the Premier League champions or well, we were we were sort of that was that 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 was the first two seasons. I think the year we won the league was the year we moved to uh, Brockle, the, the training mm. ground that they've got now, which was phenomenal. I remember there was some guy. With a, it was either a falcon or a, 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 an owl of some sort training his owl whilst we're trying, we're trying to train and he's yeah. letting his owl off. Alan Wright, Alan Wright could have been taken away. Could have been plucked, plucked from left back, yeah. never seen again so up a tree somewhere. Kenny's like keeping the ball on the floor. You yeah. can't hit the absolutely. Owl. Kenny Dalglish yeah. started giving the falcon tips, criticising yeah. his yeah, Absolutely, tip. yeah, absolutely. Wow. So um. So it was, it was really, it was really random. And what we used to do, we used to have to change. We used to have to go to the stadium, so we would park, get changed there, car share. Wow, so you drive to, to Pleasanton. So who's in your car? Not Sir Pleasanton, as I like yeah. to call it. Well, it was whoever you just used to rotate it, you know. Yeah. And the problem was none of us wanted to drive because invariably you get either f just full of dirt, yeah, or yeah. you could end up sliding tackling some dog poo. Yeah. And you don't want people in your leather seats and your Volkswagen Golf <laughs> you, on the way back, you know. So I was I was always a reluctant designated driver. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what we used to do, and we did it for ages. And the kits, if you ever came round to my cottage, yeah. you would see a clothes horse with at least three kits on it, just wow. drying out at any stage, you know. That's and, insane. And you're on you're in the Premier League. Yeah, but the it, great you know the great thing was we were did all you ever in it shrink together. Your kit? No, I didn't because it was so robust and heavy. It was <laughs> yeah. it was like a rugby shirt. Oh yeah, I I remember it was that. a rugby yeah, shirt yeah, with a collar and buttons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we had big long shorts that were I mean it took hours and hours to dry it. 
I mean, I went through three tumble dryers <laughs> in, in my time at Blackburn. It was so heavy. But to be fair, everybody did it. It wasn't like Kenny was getting his done at the local, you know, by somebody at the local laundry yeah. or. Was Alan Shearer genuinely getting? Because yeah. I suspect yeah. he was getting Mike Newell to do it. Like, Maybe <laughs> yeah, Mike Newell did everything for Elstrom, didn't he? All his running. So Mike, you can do the kit as well. Yeah, <laughs> he would have done, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so summer of 94 it begins mm. you're about to win the league one of the big um, reasons why obviously Chris Sutton signing you mm. mentioned him a minute ago but did he, him and Shearer get on were they mates there was there was a little bit of friction yeah because Mike Newell and, and Alan were really close mm. there was a group of them the Southport Massive <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst garage groups I've ever heard. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So who's in the Southport Massive? <laughs> so you had Tim Flowers. Yeah. Um, Alan Shearer. Yeah. yeah. Mike Newell. Yeah. Uh, Kenny lived over there as well. Yeah. So that was where... All the, the Liverpool players lived Yeah, there, that's where the wealthy... That, yeah, but that was yeah. where the wealthy Blackburn players lived. Right. Because they could afford the petrol to drive in. <laughs> but they were the... Yeah, you always felt that they knew a bit more about who the team was going to be on a right. Saturday than the rest of us because they you know they'd, they'd be around you know living near the manager <laughs> so, so you won the league like yes. in dramatic fashion obviously mm. you, you lose to Liverpool but um, West Ham my team would draw with Man United yep. and give you the league what do you remember give that, you though? the league after 40 <laughs> I mean, yeah, games West Ham gave us the league you own it you own it I should, have, I should have just handed my medal straight to you. Straight to Tony Gale. Well, Tony Gale was there. Tony, Tony, Tony Gale was at Blackburn. He was. Because that, that kind of the drama of that last day when you're listening to a score from another game, I mean, how, how, what do you remember? Oh, it was that? the most awful experience. To win the league in that situation was just absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Because... Did your game finish first? Or no, theirs finished first. Theirs oh. finished just before we conceded... Uh, no, just after we'd conceded the second goal. So we were going back to the halfway line with our heads down, having thought Manchester United must have beaten West Ham, all due respect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we presume Manchester United had won or were about to win. And we just conceded a second goal. And I don't think we'd been out of our half, the whole second half up at Anfield. And it was as we were walking back towards the halfway line to restart the game um, that our fans went from being utterly morbid and desperate and suicidal to then this ripple of like sort of positive energy. Yeah. and they're talking and then they start jumping up and down I'm thinking well they've clearly lost the plot <laughs> um, and then it sort of it worked its way it was a bit like a Mexican wave you know going across it sort of missed the Liverpool fans out of it yeah. but then it got to our bench and, and you saw them start getting up and, and we're like what's going on and then we realised what had happened that they'd obviously um, the game had been drawn mm. um, and I can't remember for the life of me who the referee was but a couple of the players saying, look, we just blow up, just blow up. And he's like, no, 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 you've got, you know, one minute left or <laughs> 18 left. Sounds like David Ellery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. And, um, and we had to kick off and just go through the motions. Of, really? Of, Did people we're just, just like, oh, come on, let's get the trophy. Where's the trophy? Where's the champagne? Because <laughs> it was such a relief because we'd, we'd absolutely bottled it <laughs> in the previous weeks leading up to that. Because we had a, I think we had a nine-point lead oh. or... And we were playing so well, and then we, you know, we lost a game, and Ferguson started, you know, he was doing all the mind games on, you know, on, on, on the TV and on the radio. And then you start, you get to that point in the season where you start actually thinking and, and listening out for, for your closest rivals' results, because we didn't have that experience as a group of players. Um, yeah. And Manchester United were phenomenal. I mean, they won it the two years before. They won it the year after with, you know, that... that that Man United squad was arguably the best team Manchester United have had. I mean, I suppose you could say 99, yeah. where they won the treble. But, I mean, that team was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, 
and it was just it would have been so dispiriting to have lost it on the last game of the season yeah. we deserved to win it we really did um, <clears throat> I always like to ask this question where do you keep your medal um, I keep well everything I've won I keep in a Adidas bag <laughs> in the loft <laughs> really yeah do you, right, you don't want display? it on display in your toilet no it's just not um, something that I feel I need to remind myself of you know yeah. until, I don't mean I don't appreciate it I mean crikey you know, I, I being part of a club that has won the Premier League or won the trophies that I've won or played for England the amount of times I have, I think being part of that is phenomenal. I don't need a, I don't need to look at, at sort of um, something to remind me of that. It doesn't make me less proud. It's just I don't think it's, I don't think it's about me. And I mean, can you imagine trying to hoover around your England caps? That's been nightmare. <laughs> those, those, those tassels. Oh, what's going on? The Dyson again. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about England for a little bit. You mentioned uh, earlier that you got into the squad in '93 Taylor, but you didn't feel like the atmosphere mm. was right around the squad. So, mm. was it just around clicks all over the place? I think it was more. I, I was. I didn't feel I deserved to be there in the same in the same way, okay. and it was a, it was a really yeah it was a very established um, England squad then. I mean, obviously they didn't qualify for for '94, but you've got the players that played in the, the World Cup in '90. I felt so out of my depth, really. You know, you got people like Gary Lineker was there, and um, other you know other players of that level. Um, Stuart would have been there, but I just felt yeah I felt I got I got in one squad. Yeah, it wasn't something that I felt I I, I was really part of. Felt I belonged. Yeah. I played for the B team a few times. We had a, you know, England then had the B team. Laurie McMenemy was was the manager of the B team. Did he say, "Do what you do for your clubs"? <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> Good, exactly. <laughs> that very exactly. Laurie, if I close my eyes, I'll be in the room. <laughs> so let's do, deal with your, your England goal. Yes, let's. 18th greatest England goal of all time. Is that right? Should be higher than that. Do you not? Yeah. Think, well, I... I'm always up for a recount. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. England Brazil unbroke mm. up. Unbroke up. I don't know. Still for the sky, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's another medal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot it was the unbroke. It was the unbroke up. Yeah. I can't remember who else was in it. We oh, played. We Sweden? played two games. Sweden win it. Clearly, if I'd scored against Sweden, them. Brazil, and Japan. Japan. There we That's go. right. Oh, Japan. But um, um, a bit of backstory to this amazing goal, the 18th greatest goal in England history, mm. was that it was your but the first match your girlfriend now wife went to see yeah, you play it. Yeah, what a letdown Did you do afterwards. <laughs> Every time she came to a game after that, it was like, okay, where's the volley from 25 yards? She, mm, she no. must have been like, this guy is <laughs> superhero. Mariana, my wife, she, uh, she wasn't ever really into football and still isn't to this day. She can appreciate it yeah. and understands its meaning and value in my life. Yeah. <laughs> But she's not a she's not somebody that would naturally sit down and watch a football match. Yeah. Um, so I invited her along because we just started seeing each other. She bought one of her good friends, and I thought, you know, clear, clearly that at some point this might impress her. You know, <laughs> playing for England, it's a bit like, one of the greatest <laughs> guys like ever for my country. Yeah. Might. This it's, is it's a, a bit. It's the it's the football equivalent of picking someone up in your XR3i on the first day. <laughs> isn't it? Um, and we changed our system that day, so both Stuart and myself played in that game so we played a back three and I played yeah. as a wing back and what that meant was that when we had set pieces so corners and set pieces high up um, my position was normally halfway line marking there because I was quick yeah. marking whoever they left up front but on that particular game Terry Venable said to me well look you know any of our set pieces and corners go at the edge of the box and he said and if, it, if it comes out to you just you know just smash it in 
you know, score. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. Took him at his word. That's how good he was. And, and, and Stu- <laughs> yeah, and Stuart Pierce, yeah. Stuart Pierce took a set piece from nearly, it was nearly a corner, but it was a free mm. kick. And it, was, it wasn't a great, he didn't beat the first man. The guy headed it out and it was wet. The pitch was wet. And I remember just, as this ball skirted off the pitch towards me, I backed off and then just popped it off my chest. And it just, you see it, don't you, sometimes when players, when a ball either half volley or just sits up nicely and they just think, that deserves hitting. <laughs> and that's what I did. As it bounced up off my chest, I just, it was just such a natural thing to do because it sat up nicely. Yeah. I just thought, volley. And I just hit it a little bit with the outside of my foot as well. And it just... As soon as it left my foot, (laughs) I thought we needed to get a new ball. (laughs) So here comes Pitts. So let's go from mm. high points yes. to next season where there, mm. there's a low point. Mm. The Champions League. Ah, oh, with David Batty. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was um that was the most embarrassing moment in my football career. Really? Yeah. It was and you know, I, I'm I've never been a person that sort of says, Oh, if I could change one thing, I would change this. I hope you haven't got that as a question. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get that last page. Yeah, yeah. Um and, and you know everything you do shapes you but I think that one thing if I could have changed it a little bit in terms of I just felt you know you feel bad for yourself of course but that wasn't the important thing I'd let everyone down that day yeah. you know my teammates we were in and Russia it ruin yes it had and that's the point I think there was a both the whole atmosphere within the dressing room had changed we hadn't started the season well we were having a terrible run in the Champions League Kenny had moved upstairs to director yeah. of football Ray had taken over and bless Ray he wasn't he didn't have the same control and distance from the players as, as Kenny yeah. had that same authority and things started to change the dynamics started to change there were little a couple of little clicks forming between some of the you know some of the players Southport Massive um, yeah the Southport Massive really went yeah they really, really went, went big we <laughs> <laughs> really went massive um, and there'd been a few things that had been going on between players leading up to that. And with myself and David, we'd had a, a run-in in the league game before um, where he, he said something to me during the game which I wasn't happy with in the first half. We went at half-time and I sort of called him out in, in front of everyone and he backed off. We then had a run-in in, in training. And I, and I think, you know, it needed to have been dealt with then. And then we go to Russia and you're playing in a really difficult environment. Spartak Moscow were a good team as well. It was, yeah, it was, it was a really tough game. And things started badly, got worse, and then we collided. And when we collided, his reaction to me, the way he came at me, I just instinctively just hit him. <laughs> <laughs> and And I, honestly, I didn't for a split second have think of anything I didn't plan it or because you wouldn't no um, and it I think the look of shock on his face and my face and then the other players I broke a bone in my hand um, when I hit him he had a big lump on his cheek um, neither I of mean, you got sent off right no well the ref didn't know what to do I think the ref was, <laughs> going, he was going through his manual what to do when players you know we actually got banned by UEFA oh, retrospectively yeah which is funny because funny um when I signed for Chelsea, because we got knocked out of the Champions League, I, and I broke my ankle a few weeks afterwards, so I didn't play any more games for Blackburn in the Champions mm. League. 
when I re-signed for Chelsea in 97, I missed our first two European games because of the, it was like, the band carried over <laughs> like two years. David Batty is still banned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what was David Batty like, the man? Um, he was very quiet. Um, he kept himself to himself. Avid reader, funnily enough. Um, of what kind of things? Oh, I, I think he liked crime. Yeah. yeah. Well, Why? Well, we've heard a rumour that he, like, he'd, there was a room, you were training one day and there was a rumour came across that someone had found a body, they were digging up an old stand at Ewood Park and yeah, they found some bodies. That's right. And Batty legged it out of training to go have a look. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. <laughs> I think you say he was prime suspect. <laughs> <laughs> the really funny thing is, the Brazil goal, which I don't like to talk about too much, the first person that comes and celebrates me is David Batty yeah, when yeah. you see that. And so I just think that sometimes players and their relationships need managing and yeah. and I think that if it had been diffused in a different way it wouldn't have happened clearly that sh showed a catastrophic breakdown <laughs> in a relationship um, but it wasn't without sort of history but not just between me and him but just the way the team and the dynamic was changing really the saddest thing is for me with David is that we had a 20th anniversary of winning the league at Blackburn and he was the only player that didn't come you know, did he give everyone the heads up that he wasn't coming? No, no, and it was a shame because he's not, you know, he's not that far away from 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 Blackburn. So, I just thought, you know, it would have been really great to have seen him. And I, I've got, yeah. you know, I, I, he was a fantastic player. We played, you know, we had many good moments, and I would never let that define our our yeah. relationship. You know, I, I I think that you know, as soon as it happened, we both moved on, and we. We didn't have a, uh, any sort of ongoing problems after that. Did you comfort him after he missed the penalty against Arsenal? I did. I held him in a Matthew Letitia Graham Lasso <laughs> type, you know. Cradled. Cradled him. <laughs> Why do you think he didn't turn up for that? I don't know. Um, if you ever interview him, you'll have to ask him. Well, but not not happen, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> have you asked? No, he's, no, apparently it's just kind of... He's off the grid. He's yeah, the grid. well, that sort of goes goes to that point, doesn't it? If he, if he doesn't come to that, then... You know, but it's a shame because I just think that you know we don't get the chance to see each other, you know, yeah. and, and to celebrate something like that. So it'd have been great if he'd yeah. been there as well because I think that was you know clearly that was the missing the missing piece of the jigsaw. Yeah. So you missed Euro '96 with injury. Mm. Was that you sat at home watching? Was that no, a tough? Watch? I was at the games. Oh, it was. Oh, you went to the games. That was that was the lowest point for me in my career because I'd played, you know, in all yeah. the games up to up to sort of Christmas before I had the injury. Um, I mean. It was a horrific injury. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't one of those where you might run it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had. I've still got seven screws and a plate in my oh, outside of my right ankle and, and my leg, and um, and and I was told that 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 fracture was only ten percent of the injury. So all the ligament damage and oh, the capsule around man. the ankle. It's a very complicated joint. Yeah. So you suffer huge sense of loss. Yeah. When you go through something like that, I was devastated I really was and you have to you don't get any proper support really you don't get I, I went through probably a month of reliving the injury every night I went to bed it was post-traumatic wow. it, it really was it felt yeah. like you know like a post-traumatic stress because it was so painful you know as your foot's rotating on itself um, and then you put on I think all the baggage of you know what it, what it is you're not part of the team you've got to deal with it yourself you've got to rehab you don't know whether you can walk I was in plaster for two months so you know God knows what it was going to be like when I got out of it yeah. um, whether I could walk again whether I'd recover but during Euro 96 this is where Terry Venables I, I always say is the best manager I've ever had because 
he was one of the first people on the phone to me saying you're still part of this group you're still part of this team you can come down whenever you want most managers I think would go oh, I don't want the other players to see or yeah. connect with what he's been through because they might start thinking well oh, really? hang on we're all a bit fragile here yeah, yeah. he was the opposite he was like come down every get together you're welcome come down do your training and um, and then through Euro 96 yeah I was at every game every England game and I was just it was that contrast between so happy for how they were doing but utter devastation that I wasn't yeah. out there because it was a home tournament you know I was really as I said really pleased for Stuart but yeah. I was gutted that wasn't me because I just think do you, you think know, you'd have taken a penalty? Um, yeah I would have missed but I would have t- <laughs> <laughs> no, you I just have done. the awkward yeah. bit of the interview yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. you got back in the England team You've yeah so tournoi. yeah exactly no the tournoi was yeah that's right 97 wasn't it the tournoi mm. so um, yeah I played in that my, my first game back was against Italy at Wembley um, yeah. and that was a qualification game and we lost 1-0 to a Gianfranco Zola goal oh yeah I remember that um, Letizia was kind of scapegoated wasn't it a bit for that. oh because he gave the team to his brother do you remember is that not right did oh, he that's not? right yeah he gave the team to his brother on Radio Guernsey did he <laughs> no so he was obviously you know that was yeah. Hoddle so yeah so that didn't go down too well um, <laughs> did you <laughs> get on with Hoddle yeah I did actually but he was you know Glenn he was, he was a fantastic technical coach his man management skills weren't great then. I, I no. didn't, you know, and you could you can tell that. I mean, we had that whole debacle with Eileen Drury, and yeah. you know, just just from the point of view of you know, if you if we're in this lovely flat, if you brought in a you know a faith healer now, I would even think I would think that's I feel slightly uncomfortable about this. Guy. <laughs> we don't know each other that well. <laughs> so Eileen so in Drury telling not to bother. Oh, this podcast going to be awkward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but you can imagine it in the context of an England dressing room that we're all there sort of thinking <laughs> what is this all about and you had to sort of you had to see her you didn't have to see her but you had to see her and yeah. and then you had to tell every, you had to tell all the players what happened when you were yeah. there so it was private it was one on one but all the guys were going I was like, what happened then tell us all about it what was what, did she put her hands on your head or what did she do and Ray Parler asked for short back and sides <laughs> Robbie Fowler I think asked for the tips for the races um, so they never played for England again um, was and, it like that do you no, think that well, was no well no I mean you, you, it's, it is hard to say but if you trace their England careers to, to those meetings there's probably something you know you might yeah. you might see there was a moment <laughs> you know again I had huge respect for Glenn um, and he was great to work with in many ways but I think even he would look back and say actually I shouldn't have done that and well, I shouldn't have done this so you must have been there kind of his defining day for his man management which was the day Gascoigne got yeah heave ho I was I was I was next to be seen after oh, Gaza. Oh, Yeah. It was like a scene out of Colombo in that game. Oh, wow. <laughs> there was blood, broken glass, pictures at dodgy angles on the walls. Had he trashed the room before you? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Hoddle yeah. in it? Yeah. Yeah, he kicked oh. the table, split his shin open. Wow. So, um, yeah, so there's blood on the carpet. He did the meeting in there. <laughs> yeah, so what anyway. happened was, we were at Le Mang, in Le Manga, Yeah. and we were all sat down by the, by the swimming pool, DJ, yeah. and yeah. we all got called up in slots. John Gorman, who was his assistant had to come down and sort of say right you know it's your time come up and, oh and whatever and yeah so it was appalling the way it was handled yeah. in that sense could you hear um, Gaz like shouting down the hallway when you no he'd there? sort of been um, he'd been removed in a straight jacket Hannibal Lecter <laughs> style he was like wheeled out on a trolley <laughs> <laughs> when you went in do you go so what's gone on here or do you not no 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 it? I ignored it I just thought, I, I love it. what you've done with the place <laughs> and it's hard to, is he looking a bit like a bit flustered, a bit flustered. Putting, his, putting his hair back is he a bit wide eyed I, I just remember my conversation with Glenn was very quick is there any point in calling everyone in because you know that you're in there really are you, or are you nervous anyway well, I think there's always that that 
part of you that thinks that all the signs you've read are wrong yeah. and that you actually, you know, you can convince yourself you're not going to be in quite easily, can't you? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's human nature, I think, to, to, to have that insecurity. Phil Neville, I think, was around as well, but he didn't take, he only took me, I was the only left back he took. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, he put a lot of faith in me. I was I was confident I would get in in one way, but you could just imagine him going, da da, you're not in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm well, not taking any left sided play. <laughs> yeah. But it was just awkward. The is, whole is thing there, was awkward. Because I have a theory mm. that if he's considered, you know, a troublesome player mm. or whatever, it's better, it was, surely it would have been less damaging to have picked him, mm. kept him in the squad, given him 20 minutes against Tunisia or whatever yeah. at the end. And you know that wouldn't have created it created more trouble than it was worth. Um, in it? a funny way, but I think a manager looks at it purely on you know he's got limited numbers, so yeah. so every every space is valuable. Ian Wright didn't go. Yeah, obviously yeah. Michael Owen went. Beckham was obviously young. Scholes yeah. was young. Neville was young. Um, we had this system, this back three, so he needed to take four or five centre backs. Well, people yeah, that could yeah. play in those. Mm. So actually, when you when you start looking at it. Yeah, you know there were going to be some big decisions, big calls. So Ian Wright, Gaza, and to, and I, and I think the thing with Gaza then he'd lost that yard of pace. He'd lost his. He was magnificent in the draw against Italy that we had yeah. a few months before that got us through yeah. and sent them to the playoff. He was incredible in that game, but he couldn't reproduce it. And I think with all all the other baggage that Gaza came with, I I think it was the right decision. I thought it was handled appallingly yeah. in terms of letting. What him, would you have done? Let him down gently. Look, there's no easy way, is there? But I would have done it back on home soil um, and done it in a way where I would have almost wanted to go and visit the players rather than yeah. do it in, in a sense where if, if you didn't come back to the pool after you'd had your meeting, you knew, you know, you weren't in the, you weren't going to go back to the pool afterwards, were you? And have a no. pina colada. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Fivebelly's knocking about, he might, uh, might indulge. Um, there's so much we could talk about France 98 we could do an episode in itself but there's a couple of incidents mm. the Argentina free kick so, anything you could have done no it wasn't a free kick that we were expecting so we hadn't yeah. we hadn't prepped for it so it's not something they'd necessarily done before so I was stood outside the wall and the problem when you're outside the wall is if you've got somebody an, an Argentinian player outside you you can't be too close to the wall you can't be too narrow yeah. because then you're offering that pass that is yeah. then across and you're in you you know you're in, you've had it because you're all running back towards your goal and someone's just slid the ball across the six yard line. So I was playing a bit of cat and mouse with the edge of my wall and the Argentinian player. So I'm doing my job as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. He's made he made his run and it was up to whoever was marking him to follow him. That, that's yeah. how you know you can't you can't second guess no. that yeah so and who start creeping in I don't know but I'll throw anyone under the bus <laughs> <laughs> but also it's like full gas here we are right on the stroke of half time and this is a highly dangerous situation Batistuta's behind it Seaman we hope will get a good side of it two four five in the wall from England plus one Argentinian and it'll be a blast from Matagol, as they call him, Aristuta. No, it's not. It's Ferron who's played it. There's an Eddie. It's a great goal. It's 2-2. What a superb free kick. You got taken off in that game. I did, but I, I had um, really bad cramp in Were my, you, my calves. There, when, when it comes to a penalty shootout, is mm. there part of you that's relieved you're not on the pitch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, in 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 all honesty, no, you want to be out there 
you want to be out there even if you've just come off in a game you still want to be out on the pitch yeah coming off was it's always horrible because you don't want it it's almost like you throw you're waving the flag aren't you oh, I've got yeah. to come off and what's it like on the bench during oh it was match? horrific yeah because you, you, you feel like you want to run back out onto the pitch so I lean on the bench <laughs> no, she gets put in a stand. No, she wasn't on the bench. What was the um, dressing room like afterwards? Well, I I missed quite a lot of that because I got drug tested. Oh right. So I was I was in the drug testing room with Ortega. Oh yeah. Um, and he was obviously like couldn't wait to get out to celebrate, and I couldn't wait to get out just to go and cry in a corner somewhere. And my wife's from Argentina. Yeah. So I don't know. I tried to have some random Spanish conversation with him about saying, "Oh, you know, my wife's from Argentina." <laughs> <laughs> um, and by the time I got back, it was sort of the moment had gone. So I wasn't going to go. Well, did I miss anything? <laughs> so when Beckham gets sent off, does he mm. literally go and sit in the dressing room on his yeah. own? In that? Yeah. Yeah. And to. you've must have, you've been sent off three times. Yeah. So what do you do? You just feel embarrassed. Are you showered Probably. like in your suit? Ready yeah. To you, go? you you do sh- you. I mean, it's quite it's quite a tough call. That there should be some protocol around dressing room etiquette once you've been sent off, especially going back in the days because you could use all the hot water, couldn't you? When you've been sent off, you've let your team down, but you've yeah. used the soap, the one bath soap, and uh, all the hot water. So um, yeah, it's weird because you sort of you know you sit there in your kit for ages, and then you. So no one comes in and says. No, sometimes you know a, a physio or kit man will come back in with you, but it's humiliating because you have time to stew. And you yeah. have time to think, what an idiot I am. And how haven't I let everyone down? And you, you, you watch the game on a screen and you see your team getting battered and having to work hard and dig in and it's all because you've let them down. And, and then when they all come back in, what's Yeah, like? they'll look at you and, you know. But were people like that to Beckham? Were they a bit like... Well, I think there was an expectation that he would apologise. And, and I don't know if he actually said, you know what? I think his defence was that, well, it was, you know, it was a... I didn't really do anything. I got, you know, he got me sent off, Simeone, because it was, you know, he did overplay yeah. the the back heel. Um, but ultimately, in that situation, I still think you've got to say, "Look, lads, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have got sucked into that." So we should end with uh, mm. not the '90s, but bizarrely, <laughs> your last game for England yeah, was 2000, probably the most depressing game mm. in well not the most but certainly one of the lowlights yeah of, you're really cheering me up tonight yeah. aren't you <laughs> <laughs> well, a few games define the end of an era quite like England's last game of the old Wembley defeat Germany 1-0 yeah. Kevin Keegan yeah I we've heard this story and I kind of hope it's true that mm. at half time England 1-0 down mm. Kevin Keegan goes into the dressing room and his team talk is I've got no ideas he was very much about um, spirit and identity and you know three lions um, I don't think he was ever ever a, an England manager that you felt really was a, tactically as good as the likes of Venables right. or, or Holland yeah. so I think that it didn't play that well with the players in terms of I don't know if we had I didn't feel we had the same confidence in him and what he was trying to deliver so therefore when you go out onto the pitch you're not quite sure I mean it was yeah. a, it was a it was a bad game wasn't it England yeah. it was raining Diddy Haman scored that free kick and it was a bit of a daisy cutter and you know I obviously I didn't know it was my last cap at the time um, didn't see the threat from Chris Powell <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable I didn't see the threat from Sven Jorn Eriksson <laughs> a bastard <laughs> yeah it was just it was just everything about it was was was, was did he resign and he did yeah he came in and there was a came in to, to, to the dressing room at the old Wembley and then you sort of went left into the big changing room and you sort of went straight on and then right to all the showers the toilets and the big bath 
And we all went left into the dressing room to get the debrief and he went into the shower areas and then the other coaches started following him and you could hear them talking and we were all speculating what's going on and we sort of presumed that he was, you know, um, he was going to stop, you know, and he was going to just say, that's it, I've done it and uh, I can't go any further. And that's more or less what he said. He came back in and he said, no, I'm going to have a press conference. I can't take you any further. Was he just defeated? Was he just? I like... think so. Yeah, yeah. And he was very spontaneous, Kevin. Yeah. Wasn't he? he was emotionally spontaneous, and and I think all that emotion that he had, he thought would. And he was an England legend. I mean, he was an incredible player, but he couldn't back it up with the with the tactical side of things. There is always going to be that point in football where whoever's managing you has to have carry that credibility, don't they? As well, yeah. when you get to those highest levels. So it's like Zidane at Real Madrid. You know, he, he didn't have a huge amount of coaching experience, but when he, he turns up as a Real Madrid manager, you can imagine all those players going, well, I'd quite like to play for him. Yeah. You know, and and he's, it doesn't mean he's still then got to deliver the, the, the tactics and whatever, but it, it gives him an advantage, doesn't it? And Keegan, being England manager, he had that, but he couldn't back it up with the with, with the sort of, you know, how to win the games. Yeah, we've got to take responsibility for that. But it was, it was a sort of a, yeah, retrospectively, it was a, bad, it was a sad day for me because I never got to play for him again. Mm. One more negative. Robbie Fowler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, saw, I thought that might have come up earlier in the chronology. We uh, moved past it by mistake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like back to the future in here. <laughs> yeah. Thoughts? Thoughts? Um, obviously, that's another, as you rightly say, it was a big moment in, in, in my story. Um, and thankfully, Robbie and I have spoken you know within the last few years and and he he apologized for for what he mm. did i think he finally realized that actually that wasn't the way to behave mm. and i think when you look at how society has moved on it was something that you know you'll never see again thankfully yeah. and robbie obviously saw it fit to apologize for that albeit you know quite long after the event so i actually all i said to him on that was that look now that you've you've actually said look i shouldn't have done that that's all i need to say to people i don't need to say well look he's never Apologize, and I, I, you know, and that I, I just think that it was, you know, it gives me that opportunity just to say, well, look, that happened. Um, we both knew it shouldn't have happened, and I think when I look at the broader context of it, the fact that I didn't get any support for that, yeah. you know, that, that it was, it was just seen as, oh my goodness, right, look, look away now, yeah, because, um, and I actually got in, I got, you know, hauled up in front of the FA as well, rightly so, because I, I clouted him <laughs> off the ball, um. But I took I took a, a, a criminal QC who was a friend of mine. I took him to the FA hearing um, for that because I'd had all those rumours spread about me all my career, yeah. and it couldn't have got worse than that when when a when a, a, a sort of a fellow professional does that. Yeah. Um, and so I took him with me, and it turned out that I was the first football player to take a criminal barrister to an FA hearing. Um, now they, you know, they they yeah, they're yeah. always going because because of the legalities of contracts and, and clubs paying a lot of money for these people. But I I felt not not in order to punish Robbie, but in order to make sure the FA recognised what I've been going through. Yeah, and they did. To be fair, they gave me a, a, a sort of a one match ban as opposed to what probably could have been more. And I just thought they thought let's get let's get him out of the room because we can't handle this. We can't. We don't have the processes to deal with that homophobic abuse not yeah. again not the incident but the bigger stuff I, I know what it's like to have gone through that um, and I think you know you don't want people to experience that you want them to go and be able to be as I said earlier on be who they are and yeah. therefore be the best they can be yeah. whereas if you're having to hold and pretend you're something you're not then yeah 
um, you, you, you got you haven't really got a chance. But um, yeah, thankfully it ended. It ended sort of that tale has ended positively. Yeah, yeah. Um, was it was it easier to cope with that homophobic abuse because you're not gay? No, I think it's probably the opposite in a way. Yeah. I think so because if I had been gay, I could have probably at some point I would gone, have stood up yeah. and gone, "Well, I am. What's your problem?" And then yeah. I'd have had the whole gay community behind me. Whereas actually, the fact I wasn't, you can, you know, it's a bit of a more, it's a bit of a harder argument to have in a way. Well, I'm not, but I've yeah. got nothing against gay people, but I've really offended them. <laughs> you, you know, so how do you, you're like, yeah. you're just like, oh, I've offended everyone now. Yeah. That's a story that needs right, to be told right. on a broadsheet. Yeah, exactly. You being homophobic. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That is irony. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We got an irony. Uh, one last question. <laughs> if we gave you the opportunity, I mean, you won the Premier League, FA Cup, League Cup, Cup, mm. Cup Le Tournoi, mm. Super Cup, Super Cup, 18th best goal of England. Mm. If I gave you the opportunity to go back to the 1st of January 1990 and relive it all again, would you? Yes. Or just from the bit when you joined Blackburn? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would. I'm very proud of my career. I'm proud of all the things I've done. And if it wasn't for the, you know, for the hurdles and the barriers, I've learned so much from every experience. And... You know, it's difficult when kids are looking at YouTube and say, "Why did you? Why did you punch that man in Moscow? And why did you? Why did that guy bend over and do that? And why then did you elbow him?" And I'm trying to say, "Look, you know, you be show some discipline." But I think those are the things that you you, if you're an honest person, you can stand up and not defend what you did, but you can apologise from it and move on. And I think that that's a life lesson, isn't it? Look, sometimes you're going to get things wrong. Hold your hand up, deal with it take your punishment and then move on and I've, I've tried to do that I'll continue to do that well, well it's been wonderful to remember this yeah. and I'm glad to hear that you do it all again and maybe you'd put all those medals back into the loft a second time yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so thank you very much thank you Ocao Chelsea trying to lift their game and lift their spirits and Graham Lasseau has done exactly that That was Graham So His book, Left Field, A Footballer Apart, is out now and it goes into far more depth than we ever could about the career of Graham Lasso. And also, um, Graham Lasso was very worried that I was going to mug him because we did it in your flat. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, it was a very awkward moment because I had to meet him in a pub and then he'd already made a joke in text saying, I hope you're not going to mug me. And you have to walk down a dark alley to get round to Michael's flat. And I thought... This is an elaborate ploy. If I've set up a podcast, done two full series of it, <laughs> as a long ploy to steal Grammar's over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> also, everything points to me. Yeah. <laughs> Did Steve Bruce write this murder mystery that have all just played a part? <laughs> anyway. Uh, Graham Lasso, wonderful man. We loved him. Lovely. Yeah, hopefully we'll get him back because there's. I yeah. think he's had such a meaty career. There's more to be done there. Now. Right, reviews. Every week we ask you to leave a review on iTunes. We pick two of our favourites that feature a 90s reference. Michael picks the best one. It goes into the opening title sequence next week. Um, Love listening to it. Sat in my car on Sunset Boulevard. This podcast is an hourall pleasure. Yours, Divine Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, good luck getting a clip. Fortunately here, though, I think you can get bailed out. I was so impressed with this, I sidestepped left with laughter. Tree God, the Dungeon Master. Uh, oh, yes. Hands down the winner for me. Is it Tree God or Tre God? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I've only recently realised that wasn't Brian Blessed. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realise it was another guy. I just assumed that was... I thought that was what Brian Blessed no, was famous No, more people with beards. We love your correspondence. It is so, so good to read it all. If you want to send us stuff, this is how. 
Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Okay, let's do the quiz. So each week we do a 90s football-based quiz for Josh and Chris to play. The winner gets to pick which song plays out the show. Now, this is the last mini-quiz of the series, and currently Josh is in the lead for three. Come on. So Chris can draw with a victory here, or Josh wins the overall head-to-head. This week, we are playing Jeopardy. Oh, yes, please. You are of what that is? Chris looks worried. So, for those of you not familiar with the rules, what is Chris? Uh, <laughs> Jeopardy is a quiz game where contestants receive the answer first, and they have to buzz in with the question that would accompany that answer. So, for example, if I were to say, an English centre forward who was the top scorer at Euro 96, you would need to buzz in, and the answer would be, who is Alan Shearer? Make sense? Yeah. I mean, if you've never seen Jeopardy... I have, and I've never understood it. You're... you're <laughs> <laughs> And here I am. I predict Josh may win. Okay. And to clarify, if you do not give your answer in the form of a question, you will not get the point, and it will be passed over to the other player for a chance to answer. First to three for the win. Fingers on buzzers. Question number one. A former Liverpool striker and scorer of the fastest Premier League hat-trick in the night. Josh. Who is Robbie Fowler? Correct. Ah! One nil to Josh. (laughs) <laughs> Question number two The first ever foreign manager in the English top flight Appointed by Aston Villa in- oh, Josh Who is Dr Joseph Venglosh? <laughs> Correct I didn't know his name, I knew he was a doctor 2-0 oh. nil. 2 nil to Josh It's a whitewash Spirit of Istanbul, come on Question number three And also I haven't written enough questions for Chris to make a full comeback So, <laughs> okay <laughs> Question number three The number of seasons in the 90s that West Ham finished with a positive goal difference. Chris. What is three? Incorrect. Oh. Josh. What is zero? Correct. Oh. Oh. <laughs> no, is that true? That's true, really? yeah. Wow. Wow. Top half a couple of times. Yeah, oh, but wow. you've never finished with a, a positive goal difference. So Josh wins. Oh, Not yes. just the mini quiz, but overall he is yes. the winner. Le tournoi. Le tournoi. <laughs> Um, oh, what are we going to play out with? What are you going to play out with? There really can be only one song. Seal, Kiss from a Rose. Oh, lovely. To me, I like a grown addiction that I can't deny. Now, won't you tell me is a healthy baby? Thank you very much. We'll be back next week for the quiz. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye. Robbie Slater, see you This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.